I like filled donuts. And I think it's a love-hate relationship with filled donuts. And I like all types of filled donuts. If they have custard in them, sometimes they have like whipped cream, like a poor man's Bismarck, um, jelly filled for sure. Um, we do have a special guest. You all can't see video, but we do have a special guest. Erica O'Neill has joined us today. Um, so I'm going to have her chat in a second. But Emily, filled donuts or not filled donuts? Hard pass. No filled donuts. Well, we all can't be perfect. Erica, <laughs> <laughs> filled donuts or not filled donuts? I love I love filled donuts. They're usually something that I go for. I seek them out. I like that. Filled everything. I like Gushers because I'm a 90s kid. Filled donuts are good. Koala yummies from the 90s. Does anybody remember those? Those little yes. koala cookies with chocolate in them? Love those. Yeah. It's where the flavor is. <laughs> yeah. Oreos, they're filled. They might not be completely contained, but they're filled. filled I don't feel like these are comparable things. I don't okay. feel comparable. Because, okay, to me, the filled donut part the problem is like the textural component. Like it wrecks the textural integrity of a donut half the time. Emily's very sensitive to textures for everybody. <laughs> well, we don't need to talk about that in our podcast. Okay, we won't talk about that. I'll, we'll just leave it with, I will say filled donuts are extremely messy and I like to eat them in the privacy of my own home. I will not eat a filled donut. So, uh, yeah, maybe it's like a ratio thing. Maybe it's just like, like Emily maybe likes light filling. I'm all about yeah, it. Find that. Okay. Yeah, my donut is a vehicle for filling, I think, at times. Like, mm -hmm. like a clown car of filling. Let's pack as much as we can in and have a good time. But Erica, let's talk about you and not me. I would love to know, well, everybody, Erica is one of the most amazing designers I've had the pleasure of working with. And we stole her away from her past employer in a, in a positive way to come work at LeapGen. Uh, Erica, tell us about your origin story. How did you get involved with design? And let's just go from there. Okay, so we're going way back. I wasn't sure when you said we're gonna talk about your origin story, if you meant like into workforce experience, into, I don't know, just design in general or what, but I guess we are going way back. So I, from a young age, wanted to be an architect, which I found out through that journey that a lot of people um, also share that. So I was one of the few that actually pursued it and went through the grueling um, education process. Uh, so formally went to architecture school, and in doing so, kind of found out that while I love design, the industry of architecture and development, urban planning, et cetera, wasn't really for me for various reasons. Um, but I think one of the main ones that brought me to where I am today is the disconnect between the creative agency you have in school versus what it is in practice. And really the digital, um, I guess, the digital channels still allow for that. So I think that there's just a lot of freedom that we have um, as designers that primarily work in the digital space. Um, so after school, I went to a boot camp to figure out how to translate those skills 
um, into more of, um, I guess, what we understand as like a user experience role. But then I had the opportunity to work for um, a pretty big um, design agency. It's globally recognized, but I think the point is that in that experience, I was able to expand my understanding of what user experience design was. So thinking about it, not just as, you know, someone who designs um, interfaces on websites and apps and things like that, but it's really about, um, you know, you can expand that to touch points beyond even digital. So I like to think of myself as a service designer that thinks through touch points across an end-to-end -end service versus um, someone that just thinks through touch points in, or specifically to one digital medium. And this, um, this was a topic of one of our prior discussions, and depending on when people are listening to maybe one of the future podcasts that people listen to about how confusing the space really is. Like, there's just, there is so much different stuff a designer could be doing from, you know, looking at a grid pattern on a digital landscape and making sure things are justified appropriately to thinking about like how somebody feels walking into a store or an office mm -hmm. versus does a button work like the ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it, yeah, I think for a lot of us, it does take that exploration. Like, what is it? What do I like about it? What do I not like about it? Yeah, I, I prefer to zoom pretty far out and, and see like really big picture stuff. Um, I honestly don't think I have the capacity to think about all of the details and have so much respect for people who can just nerd out in one specific channel or even like a graphic on one in one place like that to me is very admirable and something I again don't have the capacity to do so I'm better thinking big picture multi touch point um so yeah I like I said I think service design um captures that best yeah I dig that a lot so it sounds like you know, again, topics that have come up and will continue to come up. A really successful design team has a group of individuals that have passions throughout all of design. Somebody's really has an affinity for like visual and graphic design. Somebody really likes the ones and zeros. I'm thinking about UI. Somebody needs to be thinking big picture to connect all the dots to say minimum viable product plus minimum viable product might not equal good experience. Mm -hmm. um, so that actually kind of leads us into the topic that we wanted to talk about. Emily, do you want to intro the topic for today? Yeah. So when we think about it, I think as you're talking, you know, design teams, we often, you know, have organizations who ask us, like, do does an organization itself really need a formal design process or methodology? Or is it just more important to just do design? And so I really just would love for us to talk about today, like, you know. How important is it to have a documented formal design process? Um, or is it more about just trying to achieve outputs? Because I think it's kind of gray sometimes. Like all things design, shades of gray, darn it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Erica, what do you think? Do you think organizations need to have that methodology? And maybe it isn't a, a, like a yes or a no. Maybe it's a depends, but. 
Yeah, definitely don't have a simple answer for this, but I think it's how you, how you think about it. So what it, what's important to me that I think organizations need is to make sure there's carved out time dedicated to design. So that could be a formal uh, methodology, that could be a, a dedicated team, what have you. Um, but where I see a lot of challenges in my role is that when we are going through the design process, it's considered a plus one for all of the people that we need to collaborate with. And because of that, they can't dedicate the amount of energy that we need. And I'm actually facing this right now on one of my projects where we are seeking feedback from people and nobody has the time. It's either their personal lives, people taking vacation, or they have to prioritize other aspects of their role. And when um, Emily told me that this was the topic we were talking about, I was like, yes, absolutely. And people had sort of, you know, that permission that I think a formalized or structured way of, a, of including design into an organization provides you, then we wouldn't be having the problem we are having right now with just getting people to respond to a simple survey. They would say, oh no, this, this gives credit toward that, that design entity that I know that we are invested in. That, um, it's a term I use frequently. So you can talk about it's that extracurricular nature of design at organizations, which inhibits them from being, I, I like fishing. I'm really good at fishing when I do. It's maybe more fishing than catching, but I like to fish. I have all the stuff to fish, but it's, like number 10 on my priorities of things to do over the course of the week. And I probably only have like the mental capacity as well as the time capacity to finish the top five things. I haven't really been fishing in like a year and a half. I love it. I want to do it. It's important to me that value to my life, but I have no time actually carved out for it. And I think that's what we all sort of run into with clients that want to do design believe in it truly believe in it have skills on their team to do it but everybody has a day job like that oh i have a day job okay well then you're never like you're never going to design anything yeah and I, I think for me um kind of building on that i think it goes also back to like mindset and like organizational culture even around how important is it to listen and solicit that feedback so i think that's the hardest part right like i think having someone come up with a, a great design, typically we see happens because at some point you have to design something in whatever format, whether it's designed well or not, like, you know, to move forward with a project, it almost inevitably has to happen. But I think where we see many organizations get stuck is how do you listen truly to inform that design? So how do you make sure that you upfront take the time to gather that voice of your customer, voice of your employee, to influence your design? How do you then take what you've created and actually challenge it and gain feedback to make sure you are achieving what you hope to before you actually design it? Like that's where I think I see that people getting stuck. And the reality is those activities take time. And I think without formal structure, um, I'm not saying it has to be a formal methodology, without formal structure, like what is, what is our mindset behind this? What's our culture behind this? What's our expectations? people will 
inevitably say, how can we cut corners because I'm just trying to move forward quickly? And that's not a bad thing. I don't, I don't think that's out of a place of, you know, malicious intent of we don't want to hear people's feedback. I think we're all trying to just say, how can we move forward as quickly as we can? Because we have so many things we need to achieve. So if it's standardized and say, here are the expectations around this type of activity, it's a lot easier to check the box and say, did I do it to the expectations of the organization when it's actually described? So does an organization need, need to have a defined methodology and approach? I'll just pause. What do you all think? Need. I sometimes don't like saying need because need starts to be like with should and shouldn't, and then it gets tight. Don't like absolutes. That's the this, no, the moral yeah. of this story is that on the podcast we do not like absolutes. Yeah, and I'm all about trying to avoid like this is not a chastise or, sh or shame an organization, but to be successful, I guess let's just play it out. Do they need to have a defined design methodology? Well, I'm curious what you guys think from working in the workforce experience space, because um, when I think about it, again, like I, I can't answer in an absolute way. I'm too indecisive of a human, but I think it does kind of depend on the industry and the domain that you're operating in. And again, just kind of going back to dedicating time and space, like Emily, I know you've worked in healthcare as well. Um, if you are going to design... <clears throat> excuse me, if you're going to design an experience that's going to benefit nurses, they can't do that alongside taking care of patients. Like you need a formal program and a formal methodology that guides them through that um, because their jobs are so important. They're literally saving lives, not to say other people's jobs aren't important, but I think there are some that can have a more informal way of going about de design than others. I think it goes back to then culture. I think it really goes back to the mindset of like, if your organization can articulate what you're trying to achieve and the importance and value with that, with or without a formal methodology, I think that's what it comes down to. If your organization needs structure to achieve success, then that's your, your organization. Um, so like, like all good consultants, it depends. Yeah, I think that's fair. My thoughts would be, the need to have the design methodology is less about the methodology itself and more about the true commitment to doing it. And so the methodology, the defined methodology is almost a byproduct of the organization saying, we believe in it, we're going to do it, we're going to commit, we're gonna commit time, and resources, and energy and blood and sweat and lots of tears, lots and lots of design tears. And it's, it's that, which again, the byproduct is oftentimes like methodology. My fear is that when they don't have a defined methodology, you can't bring others into it. You can't scale it for your organization. It becomes harder and harder to prove the value of it. And then if someone was to ask you in your or organization today, describe your design process and you can't articulate it, though it still might be valuable, it devalues your work if you can't articulate it. And so I think the design methodology, if you have a defined design methodology, is almost secondary to all of the like show your work 
and the time that you commit to. I don't know. No, I yeah. totally, I think, I think I hadn't thought about it that way, but sometimes I think people can find design kind of squishy, if that makes sense. Um, and just be like, oh, it's, it is that add on. It's just nice to have is like, where's the value? So there is, I think it is helpful. I think when you can actually articulate to your, to your point, Ryan, showing your work, um, in some way. And then once we have a design methodology, consulting firms can make 600 page slide decks to sell it. <laughs> right? No, I shouldn't say that. I was just kidding. If it's 600 pages, they can't. Short yeah, sweet. we're not biased at all. No, but I think it is funny because <laughs> you would think that we would say yes, but I feel like we're agreeing that you don't, but you need to understand the investment that goes into doing design well and that that's not just going to be defining a formal process like you're going to go through a cultural shift like you're people are going to have to change the way that they go about solving problems because mm -hmm. there's a defined methodology for fishing in all you know multiple ways of doing it but i mean there's a pretty standard process like i'm not going to fish if i don't have a hook on the line that's not my issue it's the prioritization Right, yeah, making it. I'm sorry, but I have to ask because you're in a bigger. Yeah. Where do you go fishing? It's we live in Minnesota. Emily and I live in Minnesota. Well, there's lakes everywhere. There's more lakes than people. Uh, True. We have a lake at the end of our cul-de-sac. I live on. A, I'd pull up Google Maps if you all can see it because that's an exercise that I love doing with people. I think I've done that with both. You want to Josh share where you live publicly? Yeah, I, I have. <laughs> I have Ryan has it. looked up where I lived and like scoped out my neighborhood. In the, <laughs> in the most, Google Maps. No, in the most non-creepy, slightly creepy, uh, just <laughs> uh, let's call it curiosity with poor boundaries. Can we call it that? I'm not creepy. I'm just curious, but have really bad boundaries. Um, it wasn't. I realized it would sound creepier than it actually was. Just to clarify, it wasn't creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, you know. Um, but we, yes, yeah, so, so I live in a cul-de-sac. There's a little lake and I take Grace, my daughter, down and we fish and there's not much fish in there. I think there's more turtles and snails than fish, but I haven't really gone truly fishing because I haven't prioritized. I have to just take time off of work or find time after work to do it. And I don't do that. And that's what happens with design. Oh, I'll do it later. Cool. It's been eight months, 10 months, 24 months. It doesn't happen because everybody is busy. Everybody is probably doing more work today than they were two years ago. Their job descriptions probably haven't changed, but the amount of work that they're doing is probably more. And then if you try to add on, Erica, like you mentioned, plus one for design work. And I, I'm not going to get fired if I don't do design work, but I will get fired if I don't deliver on my day-to-day. -day. I'm going to deliver on my day-to-day -day and design work has to come second, third, fourth, or fifth. Mm -hmm. I like the analogy because it's like for you, fishing is a hobby. It's casual. And so if you're not going to carve out time for people to do design, that's exactly how they'll approach it in a very, with a very casual mindset. Um, but if you need to catch fish, to eat, to survive, to what have you, like you're, it's a different story. You're going to have to make time for it. So it all depends on, you know, how you plan to use design. I 
Love it. If you need to fish, LeapGen is here to help teach you to fish. Does that work? Nah. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Josh, what are your thoughts? You've been quiet. I think this is a brilliant conversation. I love the fishing analogy and it. One, one point that stuck out to me that I haven't thought of in the past is the time that it actually takes. You know, I, I, I'm a videographer. I edit videos and it looks like we can just kick out videos like it's not nobody's business because that's kind of part of the editing process is to make it look smooth and, and interesting. But the reality is we're talking 20 to 30 hours of editing on the back end that you just don't want to see, don't want to look, all the little cuts, all the little changes to design that experience. So I guess in a way, I'm a designer <laughs> when it comes to this. It's, you're, you're experiencing the same challenges and that's just fascinating to me. Yeah. Yep. Um, I look at this little donut. I am one and a half donuts into our conversation already. Really at a good pace. Really getting that caloric intake right where I need it. Yeah, I finished but my donut, so we're. You have a better excuse though than I do. I don't think I really should use the excuse that I'm eating for two as an excuse for how quickly I'm eating my donut. I also just give myself props that I didn't eat my donut since we started later today before we actually met. Because it was fair. real tempting. Yeah, I, I have impulse control issues too. I have the donuts sitting out there and so I had Priscilla put them in the fridge so I won't look at them. I, I think feel like can... I, can't, I can't talk and eat at the same time. That's, I can all, uh, uh, sing, singular focus. It's always a race against the clock. So when it's Emily and I, when we're taking turns eating, it's the most unsatisfying donut eating experience because it's little pieces, eat it really quick, swallow, and then <clears throat> clear your throat so you can talk, sound professional. Otherwise, we talk and you sound like this and your altar's full. But um, yeah, if you see me, I haven't been eating bites of my donut, I've been eating teared off strips of my donut. Which is yeah. not how I normally eat a donut, but you know, it works. Okay, I wasn't paying, now I'm going to notice. Well, I'm yeah, done eating my donut, so you can't watch. Uh -huh. Well, okay. you can, now I'm, now I'm gonna be self-conscious. All right, so I know we've talked a lot about different, you know, gray areas of the question, but at the end of the day, do we think organizations really need a formal process or not? And Erica, since you're our, our guest, um, I'm gonna let you try to take a stab at how do we answer that question? All right, so much pressure. I, I think in summary, we believe that you do not need a formal methodology, a formal team or process, but what you need are, you need accurate expectations of what it means to do design well. So you're going to have to think about not just how you, how you do design, but the cultural shift that will come along with it. Love it. Ryan's chewing his donut that I can see. So I can tell he's empathetically, like very much agreeing with you. As you'll, you never, you'll never catch a fish if you don't get out on the boat. So. <laughs> <laughs>